Hello, and thanks for joining me for this week's episode of Positively Leading. Now, today's episode answers a question that I am often asked, and it's actually one that I've had quite a few messages about in recent weeks. And this is after my four-part series on feedback. And that is, how can I manage myself and my emotions during feedback or in difficult or uncomfortable conversations? And it's such an important question because there's a saying that leadership starts with self. And I think it's exactly the same with communication. Every conversation that we have with someone else starts with a conversation with ourselves. And we want to make sure that that is the most positive and productive so that we can go into a conversation feeling comfortable and confident, or at least as much as we can, even if that conversation is potentially conflictual and it's going to be a really uncomfortable one. So here's what I'm going to be covering today. First off, what makes some conversations challenging? Second, how to prepare for a courageous conversation? And thirdly, three strategies for managing emotions in the moment. So first off, we tend to find conversations difficult for five core reasons, or at least these are the five that, that I've found. The first is that the conversation is going to be high stakes. Now, if we're in school, that might be a really difficult conversation or set of conversations, perhaps around safeguarding or bullying or attainment. The second is that there are high emotions, so challenging emotions, and this might be managing your own emotions. It might be supporting somebody else to manage theirs. And it's also about expressing them appropriately. So that's high stakes and high emotions. The next one is that there are opposing views. And quite often we go into difficult conversations with these positions. I'm right, you're wrong. And those opposing views can cause friction during a conversation. The next is unmet expectations. And this can be from either side. And I think most difficult conversations actually come from this one, that expectations somewhere along the line have not been met, whatever they might be. And the final one sort of acts as a magnifying glass and amplifies the other four. And that is historical bias and baggage. So, for example, if you've had a previous conversation with someone that hasn't gone well, then you're going to bring that into a conversation, the next conversation that you have with them. So those are the five core reasons. And many of these different reasons can lead to fear and anxiety. And that fear might be about making something worse. It might be about not being able to manage the conversation or the situation. It might be about uh, controlling the other person's emotions or your own or not knowing what to say. The other person's response also can be something that we worry about. And the thing to recognize actually is that fear is a really powerful emotion. Now, before I go on, can I recommend episode 10, Building Courage, The Seven Muscles to Strengthen for Courageous Leadership? Because in that episode, I share some strategies that just might completely change how you think about fear. It's a really powerful listen, so it might be worthwhile having listened to that one, so episode 10. But Thinking about back to this conversation around difficult conversations or managing our emotions, because many people think that emotions actually have no place in conversations or in the workplace, and that we should actually just go into conversations with logic, but we can't ignore them, or at least we do at our peril. 
I always remember years and years ago, I was told by a head to check my emotions at the door. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And when you try and do that, when you try and suppress the emotions, it becomes even more challenging. And that's because one of the core emotions that we've mentioned is fear. And emotions, whether it's fear or another one, they are always powerful, always present and hard to handle. There is no way we can check them at the door. Because courageous conversations, difficult conversations involve both reason and emotion. Now, emotion is a felt experience. We actually feel the emotion in our bodies. We don't just think it. It literally is energy, E, in motion in your body. And they can affect our body. You know, they can have an immediate impact on our physiology. We can blush, we can laugh, we can feel butterflies in our tummy. And then when we feel that emotion, we might try to control it. We might try to stuff it down. But until your body so it gets rid of those emotions and that movement, actually trying to suppress it can make it harder to concentrate on the message and the conversation itself. The next thing about emotions is they also affect our thinking. So when we feel disappointment or anger, you know, our head can get really stuck with difficult thoughts, negative thoughts. We might criticize ourselves or blame others. And what happens when that happens is that there is little space left in our brain for learning and thinking and remembering. And actually our cognitive thinking, our thinking brain shuts down or at least is less. So emotions can really affect our thinking. And then finally, our emotions can affect our behavior because virtually every emotion that we feel motivates us to take action. You know, if we're super, super happy to see somebody, we get that physical impulse to hug them. If we're angry, we might want to hit somebody, not recommended by the way, or we might want to move away. We can't ignore them. But the thinking and recognizing actually that those three ways that emotions affect us can in and of itself be like really powerful. Because what we are thinking about at the moment is about going into an amygdala hijack. And we want to be at our best in a conversation. We want to be in our thinking brain. And we also want the other person to be in that space too. And if that's the case, then we really do need to navigate and manage our emotions. So if we think now about one of the best ways to manage emotions or the best, one of the best ways I can think of, and that's through careful planning and preparation and structure to a conversation, because this can really help both parties, both you and the other person or other people, to feel calmer and more confident and safer because safety is really important in a challenging conversation. So I can't overemphasize enough the difference that really truly preparing for a conversation can make to your emotions. And this can then have a massive impact on how you feel during the conversation itself. Now I've got 10 questions that I found to be really effective. And my clients have too. And I'm going to share them with you now. So listen carefully. And I'm going to use the example of my colleague, Bob, who I feel is actually not being very respectful to me in meetings. And I need to have a conversation with Bob. So the first question I ask myself is, what's my ideal outcome? Now, I want Bob to respect me in meetings. This is quite vague. You know, what does that actually look like? What does respect look like? Well, it would mean he would listen to me without interrupting. 
He might save his questions until the end. He wouldn't mutter comments under his breath or perhaps be on his phone under the table. So those are really specific. And those, that's my outcome, not something vague. What's my ideal outcome? Make sure it's clear. My next question is, what's my core message? Now, this, again, we often conflate with actually what we want at the end of the conversation. But my core message here might actually just be that I'm feeling quite rubbish about it all. I feel, don't feel valued. I want to find a resolution with him. And getting clarity on this is really important. If you go into the conversation with three to five things that you want to say, you will get lost and so will the other person. So ask yourself, what's the most important thing you want to share? What's the core message? And this can help you with being able to, to say what you think because it's clearer for you. So just keep drilling down what's the most important thing. Now, the next question is, what data do I have to outline the issue? And if I don't have any, then what data do I need to gather? Here we need to address that knowledge gap. You know, is there a specific meeting that this has taken place where Bob has been particularly rude? The more specific you can be, that moves us away from things like generalizing or Bob, you're always disrespectful. It's not helpful in the slightest. So again, get really clear. Then I ask myself, what questions do I want to ask? What questions do I want to ask Bob? Now, we might want to ask why. Why are you so disrespectful? But actually, it's best, it's best left unasked in a difficult conversation because a why question can often spark defense. So think, think about rewording it. You know, I always use the, the phrase, I'm curious, just I think it's a nice little in. So I'm curious to know what's going on. I'm curious to know your thinking behind this. Much better than why did you do that? Then I start to think about, mm, okay, so I've thought about everything that I want. What happens if I step into their shoes? What might their perspective be? And here I get really playful. Now, you won't know until you get curious and ask, but the more you're able to try and step into their shoes before a conversation, it can be really helpful to shift your thinking. That leads into the next question which is what assumptions might I be making about their intentions? And again, here, name at least three. This question is super powerful, super, super powerful, because when we do this, we, we, you know, we make assumptions all the time about somebody's intentions and we, we conflate impact with intention. Now, Bob's behavior in the meeting when he spoke over the top of me made me feel pretty rubbish. And I think that his intention actually is to disrespect me. And it's human nature, right, to be judging ourselves by our intention, but everyone else by their impact. So really think about the assumptions that you might be making. And then we come into the final four questions. What questions might they ask me or what might they say? And again, just jot down some thoughts. And then what might my responses be? And again, just jot down some thoughts. The more you pre-think this, the more confident you'll feel. And then the final questions are specifically about emotions. Number nine is what are my emotions? We are what's going on for me at the moment about me, about the person, about the thing that's happening. Really drill down here. What's going on? Is it fear? And if it is, what is it about exactly? 
So what are my emotions? And then what might my triggers be? What might those hot buttons be in that conversation? And then what might I do if that happens? And having a plan is really important. So if Bob says something that I don't agree with, how might I respond to that? So really think that through. Now, those are my 10 questions and they are really helpful. Now, I wouldn't use it for every conversation or, you know, you'd have no time to have the conversations themselves or anything else for that matter. But for the ones that are causing you anxiety, the really, the potentially conflictual ones, work through these questions and I swear you will be really surprised at how useful this preparation exercise is, not only for how you feel, but also for helping the conversation to run as positively and productively as it can. And if you're thinking to yourself, okay, that's great, I can prepare, but how do I say these things? Remember, there are a range of strategies and frameworks to structure what you say in episodes 16, 17, and 18, which are all about how to give and receive feedback. Okay, now let's think about actually the strategies for managing your emotions in the moment because you're prepared, you're ready, you're feeling confident and in control going in. But we need to think about, well, what happens? When I'm in it. Now, you probably already know how to handle a tense situation intelligently, but you might not know how to do it fast. And that's what can make all the difference. Now, what normally happens for us is that we have a stressful encounter and then we go home and we calm down a little bit and the pulse slows and we start to breathe more slowly. And then after a few hours, you probably gain enough self control to start thinking through your options. And Given still more time, you start thinking, ah, yes, now that would have been the smart thing to do. But by then it's often too late. So what we want to try and do is be able to speed up that getting back control and managing our emotions in the moment. So I'm going to share with you three strategies that I find really helpful. They've been super helpful for me and also they've helped clients lots too. Now, the first is a three-step process, and it's called Notice, Name, and Navigate. So the first is we, we're going to notice it. So notice where you feel an emotion. Is it fear, anxiety, or anger? Remember that energy is, is, is felt. It's an energy in motion in your body. So do you feel it in your chest? Are there butterflies in your tummy, maybe? For me, my heart beats a little bit faster, my breath becomes more shallow, and I start to actually speak from my throat rather than from lower down in my diaphragm. So noticing where you feel it and building this awareness is super powerful because those physical reactions will be felt first, which then gives you a little bit more time to respond rather than react. And if you're not sure, then just check in with yourself the next time you feel anxious or fear or any emotion, really. The more in tune you can be with this, the better. Now, name is the next step. So get curious. You felt the emotion in your body and then think to yourself, hmm, what am I feeling? And then add the emotion to that. I am feeling whatever it might be. I am angry. I'm feeling frustrated. I am feeling scared. But notice here it's I am feeling, not I am angry. I am frustrated. And this is a really tiny but mighty tweak in language that works to separate you from the emotion. And this can help us to engage our thinking brains. Remember, we are not our emotions. So we want to create as much distance as possible in our brain. And then the navigate, which is the final part, the navigate 
two strategies here. The first is grounding and breathing. And this one is foundational because it really does start to clear those stress chemicals from your body. And it does this by activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And I always, always, always recommend deep breathing because it is always available to us. So you simply sit or stand wherever you're having the conversation and make sure that both feet are placed on the floor. Really ground down. Keep your body as upright as possible. Keep your weight as evenly distributed as possible. And then just visualize you've got a deflated ball in your tummy. And breathe in really slowly through your nose. Just visualize the air going into your tummy and inflating the ball. Hold it for a second and then breathe slowly out. And just repeat that again four or five or six times until you sense your body start to relax. When your body starts to relax, your mind then can become calmer and increasingly rational. Now, quite often when you start to do this, it might take you six or seven breaths. But when you build this habit of breathing in this way to manage your emotions, then you can end up, it can maybe up three times or four times for me now. And I can do this anywhere, in a meeting, when I'm standing, when I'm in a car, you know, at a red light and somebody perhaps cuts me up. The deep breathing is always there. Now, the key thing here is that the phrase, dig the well before you need the water, is really important. So we want to practice this. So just take 30 seconds to practice this kind of breathing during the day. Maybe it's when you wake up. Maybe it's beginning or ending a car journey. Maybe it's at the start of a meeting. But the more you practice it, the easier you can draw on this when you need it most in a conversation. And then my second strategy is having a mantra. I've created some mantras that are really helpful for me. Now, my favorites when I am feeling really, really triggered and grumpy and angry is that this is an opportunity for poise. (laughs) This is an opportunity for poise. And if I notice I'm feeling judgmental, I use another one. I just go, how fascinating. Now, this then just moves me into curiosity and more positive emotions. And then as I'm breathing, I'm putting in the deep breathing activity there. I'm simply repeating the mantra in my head. And all of this helps me to get back into my thinking brain. Okay, so that's the first strategy. It's the meatiest of all three, by the way. The next two are more top tip style. But that's the first one. The second one is hydrate. And this is simple but effective. There are some studies that show that being, hyd- being dehydrated can increase the stress hormone cortisol. So drinking water can really help to keep your stress levels down. Now, that's not all because often when we're nervous or our breath becomes more shallow and faster, this can actually affect our voice. And we want to keep our voice as confident and as resonant as possible. So hydrating can really help with this too. And then finally, Top tip or strategy number three is to slow things down. (laughs) Now, you can do this by leaving a silence. Now, this might take some practice because when emotions run high or when we're nervous, a natural response is to move more quickly and we fill silences. So just practice leaving longer and longer silences in your everyday conversations until you get more comfortable with it. Now, you might be surprised actually how hard this is to start with but also how quickly you get used to it. And then you can extend those silences even more. And you can also slow down by slowing down your speech. Again, 
When we're nervous, we tend to speak more rapidly, which in turn can make us even more nervous. And it can actually be really disconcerting for the person that you're speaking to. So think carefully about the speed. You can dial it up and dial it down. And a great way to practice this is just to notice the natural rhythm of your speech when you're doing different things. It might be when you're out walking, having a chat. It might be when you're out in nature or just speaking with friends and family. Notice when you're feeling most relaxed, because this is the speed and the rhythm that will help you to feel most calm and confident in a conversation. So practice tuning into this and then dialing up and down your speed, because this will give you greater control when you're in more challenging conversations. Okay, lots in today's episode. We have covered what makes some conversations challenging. We've thought about how to prepare for a courageous conversation. And then I've shared three of my favorite strategies for managing emotions in the moment. Okay, I hope this episode, as always, has been helpful for you. And until next time, keep on positively leading.